Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I've got a couple announcements myself. I have infiltrated Kelly Elementary School and with, with an opportunity for us. Um, I think teachers are often overlooked, and I actually learned this idea from the one of the church planners that we met on that Cincinnati Vision Tour recently, and uh, he said one of the things that he does is he serves the teachers and he he stocks the break room with snacks and food and such for the teachers so i want to do that here and i want to do that monthly and um i'm gonna leave it up to who i uh i'm gonna leave it up to some volunteers hopefully we have some volunteers i'm gonna participate as well but heather and i are gonna uh be a part of this and i would like to have some people and i assume that those people will most likely be women volunteer in this effort uh, because these are some of your strong suits and um, so i have this has been approved by kelly i already have the dates that we can go do it so uh, the first date is october 18th so we've got plenty of time to figure all this out uh, but i just wanted to make it known i'll have some sort of sign up sheet in the next week or so so that we can be as organized as possible in this effort now the next thing is uh, i thought about this this week we're entering a new sermon series called what is it called? The Sermon on the Mount, which the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon of all time. Why is it the greatest sermon of all time? Because it came straight from the mouth of Jesus. And um, so, so that's what we're doing for the next 12 or 13 weeks. I actually skipped uh, the, the previous sermon. It was supposed to be five parts, and I skipped the part on why do we pray. But um, Mr. Bertram gave us a good example. Prayer is Prayer is our direct communication with the Lord. We should go to the Lord in prayer for every single thing. We should pray without ceasing, and that's pretty much it. So uh, I saved us a whole week in about 100 words. So, uh, But this week, or the, the next, during this sermon series, I was thinking, this just kind of uh, hit me uh, one day, middle of this week. I thought it would be really, really, really neat if we could, if we could, this is an exercise for you all. If we could partner up, pick a partner, men need to pick, not everybody has to do this. This is just, an, this is just a, a plan or a, or a uh, discipleship method that I was thinking about. Find a partner and we're gonna participate in what I've just made all this stuff up and I'm calling it CARE Discipleship. And CARE would stand for commit, accountability, reflect and engage. And when we're committing by, we choose a partner and we stick with that partner. And for 30 minutes to one hour a week, we, we either meet together or we have a phone conversation. And I'll have a list of questions, very, very minimal questions, one or two questions per week from each sermon that you all, you and your partner can discuss and you can pray for one another and reflect on the previous week's sermon. And then you can discuss how to engage people out in the community or at work um, with what we've learned. For instance, today, one of the Beatitudes is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for, they sh for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So a talking point could be, uh, you know, I'm, you know, you find somebody at work and you say, I'm poor in spirit. Well, does that mean anything to you? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? So hopefully this can be, this engagement part can be, a, you all can talk together and, and figure out how to engage people out in the community. So commit is choose a partner, men with men, women with women. Uh, Accountability is that we, we share our burdens with, the, with each other, we pray for one another and with one another, and we reflect on the questions that are given, 
and then we engage. We, we communicate with people at our workplaces or family members or, or whatever. So if you're interested in that, this week's homework will be find a partner and read Matthew chapter 5 uh, through 7. That's the whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. It'll take you 13 minutes. I did it myself. 13 minutes. That only gets you halfway through the first phone call. So this, all of this will be to deepen. It'll, it'll allow you to reflect on the sermon. It'll allow you to connect with somebody in a deeper way that you probably may or may not be doing right now. And uh, this will all build up the church inside the walls and outside the walls. So I don't yet have a partner. So if anybody would like to partner, I would be willing to do that. Tucker Rowland will be one of my partners. Okay, so the greatest sermon of all time, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. This isn't the whole sermon. This is just a small chunk. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are, the, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So as I was reading, like I said, I read, I read the whole sermon. I read five through seven. And as I was reading and studying and reading commentaries and reading my notes, uh, many, many of the, uh, my own thoughts led me in this direction too. But my, the notes that I was reading, it's, they would say that the Sermon on the Mount is, is the law raised up to the nth degree. And that means, think about um, blessed are the pure in heart. That, that's, that's a tough one. You know, how pure are our hearts? If you really think about how pure your heart is, it, it's, it's not very pure. We have human hearts. And uh, so Jesus is telling us, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so th th some of these things seem sort of unattainable. Um, many couldn't, many people couldn't keep the law in the Old Testament. So how in the world could man keep in his own strength what Jesus is saying uh, at the Sermon on the Mount? So, so what's if that's the case? What's the point of the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount if it's unachievable to the Christian? The Sermon on the Mount expresses the mind of Christ, which should be the mind of the believer. The principles laid out in the Sermon on the Mount are profitable for the Christian to study and learn, but he can't attain these things on his own strength or in his own strength. And J. Vernon McGee, who is the author of the commentary that I'm reading, says that the Sermon on the Mount is the manifesto of the King. As we read and study the Sermon on the Mount, it's possible that we could become a bit discouraged. Well, why is this the case? This is the case because the Sermon on the Mount will convict us of our sin. We are looking into the very mind of God when we read Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Jesus himself compares anger to murder in these chapters. He says, 
Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if that's not a convicting thing, I don't know how you would feel convicted because just this week in a conversation, I used the word idiot. And this was after I read, have you ever called, uh, let me see here. After I read, uh, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And just reading, because my mind was on this passage, I thought, I just said idiot. I didn't call the per I didn't call somebody an idiot. I was just really being funny. I said, he's just sort of being an idiot, huh? And I thought, you know, I was just kidding, but that is not even close to friendly talk. And uh, so because of my time in the Word here and, and seeing that, I thought, I, I repented immediately out loud. I said, I should not have said that. I was just kidding. That's just my human nature is to try to be the funny guy. And that wasn't funny. And I'm sorry. So all of this stuff convicts me and I'll get even deeper into that as we go on here. So Jesus goes on to compare lustful desires to adultery. He says, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And what Jesus is saying here is not, we shouldn't literally gouge out our eyeball, but he's saying that adultery and murder begin in the heart. And we must guard our hearts not to become angry or lustful. And we'll speak more about this in the coming weeks because this, this isn't covered in the Beatitudes. So the purpose of preaching the Sermon on the Mount is to bring conviction to our hearts. Remember last week we discussed having a healthy awareness of our sin, our sin nature. Without being aware of our sin, we will not fully understand our need for Christ. So this is what, this is what Jesus' purpose was in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what my purpose will be uh, as, we, as we preach through this. The Sermon on the Mount points us to our need for a Savior, and let's dive into the Beatitudes to try to understand this more. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. These are my words. Blessed is the person who realizes that they are spiritually bankrupt. Not only am I broke, but I am broken. Without, you know, if I leave it to myself, I am, I am broken. I have, I have no guidance. If I'm just walking through this life on my own, I am absolutely broken. There will be good times, but I have no, if I have no God, I am broken. So blessed is the person who realizes they are not God and they have a need for God. Blessed are you when you, again, these are my words. I, I, I say, I'll, I'll tell you if I use blessed are and it's not Jesus's words. This is my words. Blessed are you when you realize your spiritual poverty for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Th those are my words again. We get to this point when we realize how utterly depraved we really are. Back to Jesus's words. Blessed are you, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are you when at the soul level you realize that you are busted. Not that you got busted, but because you are busted. Jesus' words again, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we talked about we, we talked about the word meek when we talked about gentleness. Gentleness and meek uh, in the original language mean the same thing. Uh, meek, gentle, and controllable. And if you if you read your notes in your Bible, most likely it'll say something about it compares meekness to a bit in a horse's mouth. So a bit is a piece of metal that a horse has in their mouth that's connected to reins. And as you pull those reins, it controls the head of the horse because of the bit. 
And, and your notes in your Bible most likely will tell you that um, to be meek means to be controllable. To be controlled by God is meekness. And we want to be controlled by the Lord. We want to be well-trained as a horse is, uh, a well-trained horse is controlled by its rider. That's how we need to be. So blessed are you when you allow God to be in control of your life rather than you trying to be in control of your life. Jesus says again, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. What are you hungry and thirsty for? Are you hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Or are you hungry and thirsty for personal comfort? personal pleasure, luxuries of this world, such as cars and trucks and houses and toys. These things do not satisfy. The only thing that will satisfy us is right standing before God, which is righteousness, as, as Jesus is saying, right standing before God. Righteousness comes to us through salvation. Salvation comes to us by believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when the Holy Spirit is in us, because of our belief, we are made righteous. We are not made righteous by anything else, not our works. Only by our belief in Jesus are we made righteous. And our living for Christ is the only thing in this world that will satisfy. Again, your house, your cars, your clothes, your financial status, your own perception of your status in your mind. Those things will not satisfy you. And the more we dive into the gospel message, the more we will understand and desire to be seen right in the sight of God. And that's what he's saying. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because that is what's important. And righteousness is right standing before God. That is what will satisfy you. So no longer should we hunger and thirst for the things of this world. We should hunger and thirst for the right standing with God. We will only be satisfied in this life if we're living in full dedication to Jesus who died for us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you even more challenging things. Your money won't satisfy. Your stuff won't satisfy. And I already said that. Your vacation won't satisfy. Here are the, here are the two tough ones. Your marriage will not satisfy you and your children will not ultimately satisfy you. The only thing in this whole entire world that will satisfy you is a relationship with Jesus. And it takes commitment and discipline and uh, a desire to understand that before you can truly understand it. So if you're not, if that's not where your desire is today, make a special effort to dive in to that partnership I was talking about, because that will help you. And to read Matthew chapter five through seven, read it. We're going to be in it for 12 weeks. You could read it one time a week. It will take you 13 minutes. And I promise you, the more you read that, the more you will understand Jesus' desire for your life. Your soul will only be satisfied when you are living in harmony with Jesus. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8 reads this. But God, <clears throat> being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift from God. So the first line says, but God being rich in mercy. If this verse 
or these these verses, if these verses make sense to us, I believe there's a high likelihood we are saved people. If you can read this and you think, this makes sense to me, glory be to God. I believe that if you can read these verses and understand these verses, salvation, in my opinion, most likely is yours. And, and I just thought about that as I read these verses over and over this week. I, I thought, my goodness, yes. And uh, so if we are saved, we, we've received the mercy of God. I've heard that grace and mercy, sometimes when you, when you hear grace and mercy, uh, the two words sound very similar. And I've always thought, well, what's the difference? And I've heard it explained this way before. Grace is receiving something that you do not deserve. And mercy is not receiving something that you do deserve. So again, grace is, is receiving something that you don't deserve. And mercy is not receiving something that you do deserve. The Bible says that the wage of sin is death. And last time I checked, like I said last week, everybody sitting in this room is sinful. Everybody sitting in the gathering place is sinful. Everybody back in the back doing whatever it is that's going on back there right now is sinful. We are all sinful. But Jesus promises us life. That is mercy. We deserve death. He gives us life. That is mercy. If we have received the mercy of God, we should be filled with mercy towards others. That's, that, that's, the, that's the hard part here. Jesus, has, has, He's been merciful to us. The wage of sin is death. Yet I'm standing here talking. I'm sinful. I deserve death. But God sent His Son to earth to die on the cross for us. That is mercy. And if I, if I claim to believe that, then I should be very, very, very merciful to people that I don't agree with, the people that I see on the news, the people that you read about in the newspaper. How can they be doing this? I'm preaching to myself right here. How can this be happening? How this and that? Why is this happening? Why are they participating in these things? Same reason I was uh, totally lost 10 years ago. That's why I had no God in my life. And that's, that's what you see. But we can't go around spewing venom uh, based on what we see on the news. If we are, I'm talking to the saved people. If we have received the mercy of God and we understand that, then mercy should be pouring out of us in tremendous doses. That doesn't mean that we uh, waver from biblical truth, but mercy should be obvious in our life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want everybody in this room that is pure in heart to raise your hand. Put your hand down. <laughs> if you raise your hand, little Tucker Rowland, you are full of pride. He's shaking his head, yes. I am not sure that it is possible for us to be truly pure in heart because our hearts are so sinful. And if you, this, this has led me to some of the some of the phrases that we use in the world today that seem helpful, that are absolutely not helpful. And one of these phrases is, follow your heart. If you have a friend in your life that tells you to follow your heart, unfriend that person from your life. And if you are that friend, stop saying that because following your heart will get you nowhere. If you, if you take your financial problems to your friend that tells you to follow your heart, you're going to leave this church and go to the gas station and buy lottery tickets. 
And I'm not condemning people that buy lottery tickets. I'm condemning people that tell you to follow your heart. If you take your drinking problem to your friend that tells you to follow your heart, you're going to end up at the bar tonight. And if you take your marriage problems to your friend that tells you to follow your heart, the next thing you know, you're going to be on the beach with your girlfriend. So let's not follow our hearts because our hearts are sinful and we have desires that are not God honoring. We should not follow our heart. We need to follow Jesus. When we are saved, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus tells us to metaphorically gouge out our eye if it causes us to sin, we should metaphorically rip our hearts out and throw them into that river over there because our hearts are broken. We've been made new in Christ, but our human hearts are wretched. So do not follow your heart. It will lead you to a sinful death if you do that. And that's a hard thing. I, I'm, be, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek about the fallen heart, but I'm also not because our advice, any advice that we give to a friend should be biblical advice, not follow what you think you should do with, for your life. Our advice to anybody should be follow what Jesus tells you to do in his word. And to be able to do that, you must first understand what, what Jesus is, is telling you to do in your own life. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We become children of God when we are saved. This means that we are to be peacemakers, and we accomplish this by pointing everyone to the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which I did not give to Josh. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, we have been rescued by this Prince of Peace, and because of that, we are now part of the rescue team. And to make peace, we need to point people to Jesus. Just like I said before, if, if your friends are coming to you saying, I've got this going on, I've got this going on, don't give them worldly advice to follow their own desires. Point them to the one who can give peace and give wisdom. Because we... In our own power, we don't, we, we don't have the ability to do that, to, to give peace and wisdom. We, we must rely on Him for those things. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we push against this world, who the world is against the things of God, right? That is evident. If we push against that, we're going to get a bloody nose every now and then. If you're truly challenging people in a biblical way, and I don't mean in an unloving way, I mean, if we stand firm on biblical truth in a loving and merciful way, the world is going to push back. And that's what he's saying here. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, right standing with God. Blessed are those who are rightly standing with God and not wavering, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when we live out our faith, it's possible that we'll be made fun of. We may lose friendships. We may lose uh Family member, we're not going to lose family members physically. We might lose uh, relationships with family members, and we may lose our jobs. Blessed are those when others revile you. Sorry. Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, before I get into this next explanation... This, this, <clears throat> this verse or these verses 
challenged me very, very, very greatly this week um, because my mind, as you all know, and it might, um, it might uh, feel like I talk about other countries a lot, but uh, sometimes I become worried how satisfied we are living in this, in this easy country. Um, and when I read this verse this week, I started to think about the word persecution. You know, we shouldn't, our aim shouldn't be to leave this church and, and seek persecution, but we don't really have a lot of genuine persecution for our faith. It's not, it's not currently available to us in this country, which is, which is good. I, I don't mean that, but in other countries, it is radically severe. So depending on where you live in the world, you may lose your life for living out your faith. And I'm not being tongue-in-cheek about this. This really does happen. God's desire is for us to live for Him. To do this faithfully could create a challenging life for us. Your faith in Jesus could eventually end your life on earth. And I didn't have to go seek this information. I knew it was available. There's an organization called Open Doors that... They collect statistics, Christian statistics of, of the most persecuted countries, deaths of Christians and all these things. And so I went to their website and it said last year there were 5,621 Christians that were killed for their faith in 2022. 90% of these were from Nigeria alone. And this huge increase uh, in this area has caused more Christians to lose their lives in the last five years. I, th I think it's up 20%. And the 10 most persecuted countries are Sudan, Afghanistan, Iran, Pakistan, Nigeria, Libya, Eritrea, Yemen, Somalia, and North Korea. So remember from the beginning of this message that I said the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount was to convict us of our sin. So the most convicting thing that happened to me while I was writing this is that I claim, I think, personally claim, Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If anybody asked me in this room, do you believe in Jesus? My answer would be, without a doubt, yes. And then I would go on to converse more about that and ask, ask the person where they stand. But it really, as I, as I analyze this, blessed are those when other revile, others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of things, evil against you falsely on my account. Never has that happened in my life, ever. I don't even know if uh, I could, if, I, if that could, if that would happen here, you know? The most extreme persecution is, you know, people laughing at you or thinking, well, that's stupid, that's a dumb thought, or, or whatever. And, but, but I claim that Jesus is Lord and Savior here in America. And when, I, when I'm, you know, I'm, this, it feels good in here right now, it's comfortable. We, we can see each other, we have lights, we have cushions on our chairs, we have a building to gather in. It's easy to say that Jesus is my Lord. But what if that persecution was here? What if, uh, what if in many of these countries that I mentioned, what if owning a Bible was illegal? What if you went to prison for having a Bible? In many places, a year. You go to prison for a year. You caught with a Bible, prison. Do I, is Jesus still my God in Afghanistan or China? or Somalia, I would, like to, I would like to say yes, but I'm not there. I'm here where it's easy. It's easy. Nobody's hunting me down. Nobody's uh, taking my family from me. None of those things are happening. We could all stand up right now, get in our cars, 
go to Kroger, do the same thing in the produce section. We could, I could stand in the produce section, you all could sit on the ground, and people would look at us like we were insane, but nothing would happen. The, cop, the cops might show up and tell us to leave, but we're not going to jail over that. We're not, we're not going to jail over that. We're not gonna get killed over that. It's easy to do this here. It's comfortable to do this here, but there are people, there are 5,621 people that stood firm in the faith in these countries in the last year and were killed for it. And as I read this persecution bit of this, one, I'm grateful that I live here, but, it, it, but it's challenging my heart. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they, for, I don't wanna misquote it here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. My memory should be better. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, my spirit is poor. I am poor in spirit. I realize I, I'm reading these things and I'm convicted of these things. I'm, I, and I'm thinking, Lord, my spirit is poor. You know, and, and that sounds bad, but, I, but I, based on the verse, it's good. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm sifting through these things. Am I the same Christian in the United States where everything is going well for me that I would be if that, if that Chinese persecution came here or that Afghanistan person persecution came here? Am I the same believer? Am I the same amount of faithful follower of Jesus? Jesus is the same God there. I'm the same man. I'm in a different geography. That's the only difference. And that scares me to death because of this verse, which is in Matthew chapter 7, which we will cover later. Uh, later in the coming weeks, if I can find it. You have it up there? I think I gave it to you. Matthew 7. Yep. Not everyone who says, pay attention to this based on what I just said, because it's, it's, this will convict you as well, I believe. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I'm going to read that one again. I never knew you. Depart from me. And that, that might be the scariest uh, couple verses in the entire Bible because we do all of, you know, I haven't casted out a demon recently, but I've, I stand up here and preach the Word of God, but then my mind says, but what if people around me are dying? You know, what if my, what if I'm, what if the threat of imprisonment happened? Am I still going to stand up and preach then? Uh, nobody's coming after me right now, so uh, I just, it, it just, uh, this sounds discouraging, and I'm really sorry about that. But I didn't write these words. He says, "I never knew you depart from me." We we get wrapped up in these works, uh, past. Just because I'm a I am saved. I don't doubt that. But being a pastor doesn't save me. Um, so we just have to analyze these verses and and just think about these things in a in a deep deep way. So that's my question to you: Would you claim Jesus as Lord and Savior if the USA was on on the list of these places that we've talked about? And and that verse in Matthew chapter seven just it it. It confirms the fact, blessed are the poor in spirit. I, Lord, I need your spirit. I need your mercy. I need you. And 
Those are all good things. And that's, that's the point of this whole sermon is that we, our reliance needs to be on Jesus and not ourselves, And that's what he's saying. Uh, you know, cling to me because I am king. I'm getting all sorts of fired up here in my mind, so let me gather myself. And this iPad jumps around like crazy up here. I know you all don't get to see that part. I found the verses I was looking for. That's good. So in those verses too, the notes in my Bible make references to false disciples in, in the passage that I just read. And my notes also reference that mighty works are not proof of the Father's will since mighty works can come from other sources of God. Mighty, our, our works can come from our own hearts. We can go out and feed the hungry and, and do all these things and, and still be lost. So don't let the works fool you. We have to be in relationship with Jesus to be saved. Our works do not save us. Being baptized does not save us. Being the pastor does not save us. Jesus saves us. That is it. We must know Jesus or He won't know us, as that verse said. If we know Jesus, we better know Him in the United States. We better know Him in Sudan. We better know Him in Afghanistan. We better know Him in Iran. We better know Him in Pakistan, in Nigeria, and Libya, and Eritrea, and Yemen, and Somalia, and North Korea. Our Jesus is God in all those places. We are the same person in all those places, but our geography changes when we go to these places. That's the only thing that changes. Same God, same man, should be same faith. Is that, is that true? You need to think about those things. So I'm saying all this to claim, or I just, I said what I just said. I'm sorry. To close in all this, I'm not, I, I don't want to be so discouraging. And I hope this whole, this, this next sentence, these next couple sentences should, should summarize what I'm trying to say in this last little bit. When we meet Jesus face to face, we do not want to hear I never knew you depart from me. That is not that just the thought of that kills me. We want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So when we you are going to meet Jesus face to face one day. Do not you, you need to you need to understand these things now. You do not want to hear. I never knew you depart from me. We want him to say, well done, my good and faithful service. So have faith in Jesus. You cannot walk alone in this world. He has offered Himself to us. He has stuck out His hand, and all you have to do is grab a hold of it and follow Him. Be yoked to Him. Read His Word so you can understand Him. You can't follow Him and not read the Word. You have to. That, that's why He gave it to us, so that we can understand, so that we can follow You don't know how to follow Him if you're not in the Word. You just don't. Open the book. Find a partner. Open the book. Talk for 30 minutes to an hour for this next couple weeks, and I promise you, I'm not saying that we're not already doing great things. We are. But when I read this stuff, I think, oh my gosh, I am in many ways, I am just as much of a mess as I was 10 years ago. And I need Jesus as much right now as I did yesterday and the day before. And I need Jesus more and more all the time. And that's what that's what he's saying. He's just saying. Cling to me. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. When you know that, when you know that you need me, I've got you right where I want you. Is essentially what he's saying, and that's where we need to be. So, Jesus has stuck out his hand, and he's inviting you to follow him. So let's just do that. Let's just do that. Grab a hold of his hand. Grab a hold of somebody in this church. Partner together. 
read and understand together and follow him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, your word says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the person who is spiritually bankrupt. Blessed, are the blessed is the person that knows that they're broken. And um, I know this hasn't been an uplifting message to the people looking back at me, but uh, it's meant to be an encouragement. It's meant to, to be refining. It's meant to take all the bad parts out of us and, and, and bring them to the top so you can scrape them off and throw them in the trash. And uh, just as I've read these Beatitudes, um, I just I just realize I, my need for you. Not only, you know, we get wrapped up in the, the easy, easy, easy comforts of this earth. And sometimes we forget um, our brothers and sisters in other places don't have it anywhere close to as easy as us. And and we should have great thanks for that. But we should also be in prayer for them and be in prayer for us that that. Since we have it so comfortably, we should be willing to understand you and share you uh, at a great level. And I, I'm I'm so I'm grateful that you've challenged me so heavily this week. And and it's been a heavy it's it's been a heavy it's, it's been a heavy thing, especially getting up here and talking about it. And uh, again, I know it's not the most uplifting thing to think about, but uh, I just pray that if we claim you as Lord and Savior, that that we mean it and we're not just playing around with it and and I, I just pray that you that you put your arm around us and help us to understand that you just want us to follow you and you love us and you're merciful and uh, I'm just grateful for your mercy I'm grateful for the salvations that have happened here uh, in in these people throughout their lives and in my own life and in my family's life and I pray that if anybody um, doesn't have a relationship with you that that they make a change today or if anybody has a lukewarm faith that they they take a step of repentance and and turn back to you and start to really dive in and understand your will and i pray these things in your mighty name amen during this invitation time if y'all can't tell i'm brokenhearted for myself uh so i'm gonna get on my knees and and, and pray uh i'm gonna pray for this church i'm gonna pray for the persecuted people across the world uh and i'm gonna pray for my own heart to 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 deepen my faith uh, in a way that um, that I don't know I'm I'm almost out of words, but the Holy Spirit knows what I'm saying, and uh, I think you all do too. But invitation time is going to be different today because I'm not going to be standing right there. I'm going to be praying myself. So if you all would like to join me in that, feel free to do that right now.